what a tremendous encouragement there for God's people to slow down and be still and know that God is God. We live in a hectic whirlwind of a society that we're constantly going, and it's important for God's people to take time to be still and know that God is God. Turn your Bibles again to 2 Peter, please. Gentlemen, I'll be using the pulpit mic this morning. Just this past week, my wife and I were having a meal together, and she asked me how I felt about this being my last year at First Baptist Church. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> a little nervous, uh, not certain. I said, I have, that has not yet hit me yet. But I, my desire is, I can share with you before, this be my best year ever. I don't want to fizzle out. I want to end up strong. I want the messages that I preach of 2024 to be some of the best messages that ever come out of the mouth of Pastor Peterson. This will be my 44th year, and my desire is that you might grow as you never have before in your Christian life as a result of 2024. Especially, and I chose a theme for 2024, but grow in grace and knowledge. It's my desire that of all the t time you've been saved, you will look back on 2024 and say, I grew more spiritually than I have before in First Baptist Church. So I encourage you to plan on being with us every Sunday of this year. I'm going to be preaching on this issue all through the year of 2024. And I ask that you would do your best to be here so I can share with you what God has laid in my heart. I've asked the Spirit of God to help me to do the best message I have ever preached. And that is my desire. And I pray that you pray the same thing with me. But here in this passage, he talks about growing. In fact, he gives us the command to grow. Look with me again in verse 17 and verse 18. Verse 18, we have a command to grow as God's people. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, Peter says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware. Beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here we have a command to grow. The other day I was reading a little story about a little girl was with her father, and she says, Daddy, are you still growing? The little girl asked, and the father replied, No, honey, uh, why do you ask? He said, Because, Daddy, the top of your head is growing out through your hair. <laughs> Looks like you're still growing. And I can remember as a child, I wanted to be as tall as my dad. My dad was tall. He was six foot two. My mom was five foot three, and I'm caught right in the middle at five foot ten. But I want to be as tall as Carl Peterson. I always wanted to do that. I wanted to grow and be tall as him. They're talking about physically. But how about you? How about your physical, your growth, spiritually speaking? Uh, how do you measure up spiritually as you did when you first got saved? Uh, how was your spiritual growth in the year of 2023? Again, it's my prayer and desire that 2024 will be the greatest year of your spiritual growth as you ever experienced. And that's my prayer. And I've fo focused on this, uh, chose the theme, but grow in grace and knowledge. Notice here in this verse, God commands the believer to grow. It's God's desire that every Christian will grow spiritually. This will not be something that you'd become stagnant in your Christian growth, but you would grow. 
The verb grow here in verse 18 is in the present imperative tense. The word present means a continuous tense. Imperative means a command. God's command is God's people would be continually growing. There would be no stagnant in your Christian life that you would grow continually in your life and you walk with the Lord. God commands us to grow. Then he gives us in verse 17 two reasons to grow. Reasons to grow. Verse 17. Back up verse 17, please. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things, beware. The word beware means to guard or protect. Because he's going to tell us growth is a defense to protect the believer from being led astray. Spiritual growth is a defense to protect the believer from being led astray. Now, I hope that you're visiting with us today that you'll borrow one of the Bibles this morning. We'll be turning a lot of Bible verses here today. And I want you to turn with me and see what the Bible says. Here at First Baptist Church, we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible from cover to cover. We believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. And I try to use it every service. And I hope that you'll use your Bible. In your bulletin, there's notes you can use that follow along, take notes to write down what I want to share with you. But the first reason he gives a grow is to grow as a defense to protect the believer from being led astray. He said, beware lest you also being led astray with the error of the wicked. Several times in his book, Peter warned us of false teachers. Hold your finger right here. Go into chapter 2, please. Here Peter warns his people of false teachers of false prophets. And one way we have a defense against false teaching and being led astray is by spiritual growth. 2 Peter chapter 2, look with me in verse 1. 2 Peter 2 verse 1. Peter said, but there were false prophets also among the people, the Redom, even as there shall be false teachers among who? Among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2, And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of long time lingereth not, their damnation slumbereth not. So he's talking about false teachers. Look in chapter 3, the first part of chapter 3. He warns us again of false teachers. They're called scoffers. Chapter 3, verse 1. This second Peter, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Look in verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. How many believe you will live in the last days? I believe we are, it says, shall come in the last days, scoffers walking at their own lust. Scoffers are those who make fun of, laugh at what you believe. Our world is full of them. We live in a society that rejects the Bible, laugh at those who believe the Bible. And Peter's trying to help us the way we can have a defense against being led astray by these false teachers and scoffers is by growing. The second reason for growth is growth is a safeguard from falling away. Not only being led astray, but falling away. Again in verse 17, it says, Beware lest you also being led, astray, led away 
of the air of the wicked, it says, fall from your own steadfastness. God wants his people to be steadfast. Unmovable, always abound the work of the Lord. But through false teaching and scoffers, many people will go astray, and some even fall away from the Lord. So growth is a safeguard from falling away. Growth is a safeguard from falling away. Pursuing spiritual growth through grace and a deepening knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ will lead to doctrinal stability and prevent God's people from falling away. Number two. First of all, we have a command to grow. Number two, let's look at the necessary ingredients for growth. These ingredients that must be in your life in order for you to grow. And I hope it's your desire to grow spiritually. Here are some necessary ingredients to grow. Go with me now to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. A couple of books over to your left. You got 1 Peter before 2 Peter. Then you have James before that. Then Hebrews chapter 5. Here we have three key ingredients for spiritual growth. Let's read verses 12 through 14, and I'll back up and show you the three ingredients mentioned here. Chapter 5, Hebrews 5, verse 12, page 1686, if you're using a church Bible. 1686, verse 12. Here the writer of Hebrews speaking to these believers. He said, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such at need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The first key ingredient, ingredient is time. Is time. Verse 12, for in the time... You ought to be teachers. It takes time to grow. There is no short growth, shortcut on spiritual growth. He said again, there's no shortcut to spiritual growth. We live in a microwave society. We want everything quickly, instantly, and fast. My friend, that will not happen spiritually in your growth. It takes time to grow physically. It takes time to grow spiritually. Time. Growth takes time. It won't come automatically or quickly. Growth takes time. It won't come automatically or quickly. So the first key essential ingredient is time. Number two, letter B, is God's word. God's word is the central ingredient to grow. It's the spiritual food for the believer to grow thereby. Look in verse 12 again. He said, when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you what? Again which be the first principles of the oracles of God. The word oracles means the word, the utterance of God. God's word is essential for spiritual growth. I want to encourage you to do something. Many of you are very faithful in coming to church on Sunday mornings. You ever thought about coming Sunday nights or Wednesday nights? We preach and teach God's word. If you want to grow spiritually, you need to center your life around the word of God. Plan to be here every service, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, be here for God's word. God's word is an essential for spiritual growth. And notice here he gives us a description of two kinds or two forms of God's word. 
The first one here is called the milk. The milk of the word. He says again in verse 12. He said, you have neither one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as need of milk. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. By the way, what is the milk of the word? It's essential for spiritual growth. The word milk goes back, goes back to the word. It says, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the word of God. The word first principle means the elementary truths for the new believer, the basic truths of Christianity. That's called the milk of the word. It's essential for a believer, especially a new believer, to grow. Then the second form of God's word is not only the milk of the word, but the meat of God's word. The meat of God's word. Verse 12, it said, It had become such as need of milk and not strong meat. Verse 14, But strong meat belongs to them that are of a full age, those that are spiritually mature. Strong meat. And what is the meat? These are the deep things, the difficult things of God's word. Look up here, please. Last month, we talked about message on what to look for in a new pastor. Here's something else to look for. When he preaches, make sure his message contains the milk of the word and the meat of the word. The milk is for the young believer, those that have not grown. Every new believer, every young believer. By the way, let me back up. I was saved as an eight-year-old boy. I never grew till I was 23. I was a babe in Christ for years. I needed the milk of the word. So every message should include the milk, but also the meat of the word. The difficult things that are essential. Some pastors, all they preach on the milk, and the mature believer feel like he'll starve to death. He's not being fed. But some pastors, all they focus on the meat of the word, and do not include the milk, and the new believer... Phew, Right over there, I don't get anything out of that message. So every message needs both the milk and the meat. How many have been, remember uh, Morrison's Cafeteria? I used to love going there. You used to get in line, you pick up a tray, you pick up your utensil knee and a napkin, and you get in line, you slide your tray. And you, first of all, you come to the basic things. You come to like uh, uh, applesauce, jello, and pudding. I love those things. But I had bypasses. I want to get out and meat and potatoes, didn't you? Those first things are for, be good, easy to digest. That's the milk of the word. And every church needs that, that the new believer can grow. But also, I like meat and potatoes. How many like meat and potatoes, both spiritually and physically? And so the next pastor, when he preaches, look for both. Look for both. All he preaches for the milk is the, the mature believer feel like he has starved to death. I'm not being, I need some food, feed me. But at the same time, all he preaches on the meat of the word, the young believer says, I didn't get anything out of that. So both are essential for a message from God's word. The third essential element. What's the first one? Time. The next one, God's word, which contains milk and meat. The next one is practice. Practice. The obedience and the application of God's word. We're again in Hebrews 5.12. It says, both but strong meat belong to them that are of a full age, those that are spiritually mature, even those who by, notice the next phrase, by reason of use, by practice, 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is so important. Look up here, please. You can be saved for years and have a head full of knowledge of God's word. But if you don't put into practice what you learn, you'll remain a spiritual baby. Let me say that again. You can be saved for years and be one of the, have more knowledge of the Bible than anyone else. But unless you apply what you learn, put into practice, you will not grow. Among many Christians, we have spiritual obesity. They know the Bible. They come all the time and they learn it and study it, but they don't apply it. They will not grow. You need time, you need the Word of God, and you need practice. My friend, that is probably the most important of all of them. I want to encourage you to learn more of God's Word than you ever learned in 2024, but also put it into practice by reason of use. I encourage you to do that. That's the necessary ingredients. Number three, we talked about the command to grow, the ingredients for growth. Number three, the stages of spiritual growth. The stages of spiritual growth. We're going to look at those this morning. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. As we look at these, there's three stages given in Scripture of a spiritual growth. I want to encourage you this morning to ask the Spirit of God which lives inside you to bear witness with your spirit which stage you are presently in today. There are three of them. Every one of you will fall in one of these three stages. And these are the stages of spiritual growth. In 1 John chapter 2, look in verse 13, 14. We'll read the verses together. You follow me silently. Then I'll back up and look at the different stages mentioned here. In verse 13, 1 John 2, 13, page 17, 14, for those using a church Bible, it said, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. Verse 14, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. The first stage of spiritual growth, write it down, please, is children. Children. The Bible offers them as babies, babes in Christ. Children, verse 13. And notice what it says, the latter part of verse 13, the first stage of spiritual growth is being a child spiritually. He said, I have written unto you, little children, because you have known the Father, the latter part of verse 13. The word children refers to an infant, a child recently born, a toddler, or a small child. That, we know that physically, but how about spiritually? Some of you may be just an infant in Christ. You've been saved, recently saved, you're a new believer, or been saved for years, but you have not grown. Maybe a toddler or a small child. He said, I write unto you, little children, because you've known the Father. The word known there means you have a basic, general knowledge about God. You have enough knowledge that you're saved, and that's it. I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. But that's all you know. God wants you to go further than that. That many Christians, are, that's where they're at. They're children. Let me give you some characteristics of a child. I do this, hopefully you'll find where you are spiritually. Hold your finger right here, coming back to it. 
Go to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Page 1648, Ephesians 4. Here we have the characteristics of a spiritual child, of children. Ephesians 4, give you a moment to find that. Again, it's my desire that you might look at your own life. Don't look at your spouses. Don't look at your neighbors. Look at yourself and find out what stage of growth are you in. And determine to move forward from there in 2024. Ephesians 4, verse 14. Here Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus. And that's what he says here. Chapter 4, verse 14. That henceforth we be no more what? Children, talking about spiritually, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may what? Grow up in him. The first characteristic of a spiritual child is spiritual instability. Spiritual instability. He says there in verse 14, that you henceforth be no more children. What's the characteristic of a child? Spiritually tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Some Christians, they believe everything they hear. And as long as a person, as long as a church has a name of Christ on it, a name of a Bible on it, they said it must be of God. And they, you ever heard the song, Wherever He Leads Me, I Will Follow? Many Christians ought to sing, Whatever He Feeds Me, I'll Swallow. And many, that's what a baby does. They just want to give me one of the spiritual instability. They're tossed about by every wind of doctrine. They believe this one day, believe that another day. They're tossed about instability. The second characteristic is easily deceived. Easily deceived. Is that not true also of physical children? You know, one of the greatest things about children's ministry, work on children, they believe what you tell them. I mean, they're not like adults. We become very skeptical. Uh, we, we, uh, we don't believe everything we hear, and rightfully so many times. But a child said, you tell them they believe it. But sometimes they can tell them something's wrong when they believe that. That's the reason parents are told to protect your children. Watch their hearts and minds, because there's much false teaching out there. Because a child, both physically and spiritually, is easily deceived. It goes on to say in verse 14, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to what? Deceive. That's the characteristic of a child. Number two, the second stage of spiritual growth is young men. Go back now to 1 John. Back to 1 John. Chapter 2. The phrase young men is mentioned twice, verse 13 and verse 14. But look in verse 14, the latter part there. Young men is the second stage mentioned here of the spiritual growth. He said, I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. The word young men physically referred to a teenager or a young adult. But he gives us three characteristics of a spiritual young man. He's moved from being a child Moved from being a spiritual baby, and now he's a young man. The three characteristics given here, first of all, they are spiritual strength. Spiritual strength is a characteristic of a young man. 
He says, you are strong spiritually. Number two, he continues in the word. He continues in the word. He goes on to say, the word of God abideth in you. And why does God's word abide in them? Because they abide in the word. <laughs> they spend time in the word. If you want to grow spiritually and be strong spiritually, you need to abide in the word of God. That's when your pastor encourages you to be in church every time the doors open so you can have time in God's word. The third characteristic is spiritual victory. Spiritual victory. It goes on saying, you have overcome the wicked one. Satan will use this world and its ways to deceive and draw you away from God. And the way we can have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil is through spiritual growth, through God's word. So the characteristic of a young man, they're spiritually strong, they continue in the word of God, and they have many victories in temptation. Does that characterize your life? Number three, the third spiritual stage, the third stage of spiritual growth is the term fathers. The term fathers is mentioned in verse 13 and verse 14. He said, I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. Two characteristics of a father. Number one, these are mature believers. These are mature believers with a long and rich experience in their walk with God. These are mature believers with a long and rich experience in their walk with God. It said you have known. The word known there means have come to know and still know. Listen to me, please. The difference between a child and a young man and a father. The, a child knows enough that he's saved, has a general knowledge about the Bible. A young man knows the Word of God. But a father, the difference is, is the difference between knowing the Word of God and knowing the God of the Word. A spiritual father is one who has a walk with God, an intimate walk relationship with God. He knows the Bible like the young man does, but has an intimate walk with God every day in his life. That's the difference. He knows the father. The second characteristic of a father is the word father indicates he's a parent. The word father indicates he's a parent. He's a mature believer. He not only knows the word of God, he knows the God of the word. But he has reproduced himself. He's won people to Christ and trains them, disciples them in the walk of the Lord. And when you got that filled out, look at me, please. Of those three states, in fact, all three of them, a child, a young man, and a father, all three can lead a person to Christ. I remember as a spiritual baby, I led my first person to Christ. I knew how to get saved and shared that love, and they trusted Christ. But the difference is of a father, he not only leads people to Christ, but he takes time to instill his life, his knowledge, in the one he led to Christ. He disciples them. He trains them. That's the difference between the other two. He makes disciples. Now listen carefully, please. The differences of the three stages. A child knows he's a child of God, and that's about it. A young man knows the word of God. A father knows the God of the word. Spiritual growth progresses from knowing that you're a Christian, knowing the word of God, to knowing 
having an intimate relationship with God himself. Which one are you in this morning? You say, Pastor, I'm number three. I'm a father. I'm a spiritually mature. What need do I need to grow? My friend, you need, we need to grow. Your growth should never stop, should never be stagnant. Until you like the Lord Jesus Christ, you have room to grow. How many believe that to be true? How about you? I want to be like him. But in many areas of my life, I am not. I need to grow. And so do you. So do we are. So the three stages, a child, a young man, a father. Number four. Number four. We saw the command to grow, the ingredients to growth, the stages of growth, and number four, lastly, the areas in which to grow. Areas in which to grow. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, our key verse. It mentions two areas in which the believer should grow. The first one, grow in grace. Grow in grace. Spiritual great growth involves understanding God's grace. Now, we're going to go through this quickly. Our time is about gone. And I'm going to spend many messages on these two issues, the area to grow in. So we'll slow down when we come to those messages. But turn with me now to Titus chapter 2, please. Titus 2, page 1679. Titus chapter 2. It talks about the wonderful truth of grace. Of any truth of the Bible that I thoroughly enjoy is grace. God's amazing grace. We sang about it this morning. But it says here, grow in grace. Titus 2, 11, page 1679. Again, for those using a church Bible. Look in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God. There it is. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice, first of all, which you all know, even the baby Christian understands this, grace brings salvation. It says the grace of God that brings salvation. How many grateful for God's grace? If it wasn't for grace, we'd all be going to hell. Grace and salvation means God's favor, unmerited, undeserved favor. I'm so grateful that God bestowed that favor I did not deserve upon David Peterson and saved me. For by grace you save through faith, the Bible teaches. It brings salvation. But next, it moves on there. Grace not only brings salvation, grace instructs the believer. Grace instructs the believer. First of all, it instructs the believer on what to deny. It goes on to say in verse 12, the grace of God would bring in salvation. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. There's so much this world has to offer us, Christian, that you should deny. The word deny means reject, refuse, something offered. There's so much the world has offered, nothing wrong with. But grace will teach us the difference. There's many things that will destroy you spiritually, ruin you in your walk with the Lord. And God's grace will instruct you what is... Uh, to be able to deny that ungodly and worldly lust. Not only instructs the believer to deny, but also instructs the believer to live on how to live. Instructs the believer how to live. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, but read on, we should live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present world. That's what God's grace said. Now, look up here, please. Grace and salvation is different than grace in the Christian life. Grace and salvation, which the baby understands, is God's unmerited favor. But for the child of God, one who's already received that favor, grace in the Bible refers to God's divine enablement. God helping you to do and be what you ought to be. We're going to see that next. So that same grace that brought salvation, now it teaches me, instructs me what to deny in my walk with the Lord, but also how to live. Next, number three, it not only instructs the believer, God's grace enables the believer. Grace enables the believer. Turn to me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Page 1619, if you're using the church Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The grace that brought salvation, now that you're saved, instructs you on what to deny in your Christian life, things that will hurt you, also how to live. That's what God's grace does. But also enables the believer. Look in verse 10 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. And notice what Paul is talking about here. But the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Look where, please. The apostle Paul attributed everything he was to God's grace. How many realize Paul was a great man of God? One of the greatest apostles. What did he attribute that to? Grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So first of all, grace enables the believer to be. Grace enables the believer to be what you ought to be. Paul said, I am what I am because of the grace of God. And you can be what you ought to be by the grace of God. But also, grace enables the believer to do. It enables the believer to be but also enables the believer to do. Read on in verse 10. He said, But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. When he says labored more abundantly than they all, who's the all refer to? Back in verse 9. The other apostles. He says, I am the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. However, I did more for the Lord than all the apostles. I labored more. Why? Because of God's grace. He taught more. He suffered more. He wrote more books of the Bible. He did more than all the other apostles. And what did he attribute it to? Grace. How many feel like you can do more for the Lord? You know what you need? Grace. How many feel like you know, there's some things you need to be that you're not? You need God's grace. Enables you to do. Enables you to be. That's God's grace. Next, the second area in which we are to grow is grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge. Again, back to 2 Peter 2.18, 3.18, me. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What, is it, what does growing in knowledge do for the believer? I'm glad you asked. May I say it again? What does growing in knowledge do for the believer? I'm going to go through this quickly because time is running out. And again, I will slow down on each one of these in the weeks, the months to come. First of all, knowledge enables believers to walk worthy and please the Lord. 
knowledge, the knowledge of God's word enables believers to walk worthy and please the Lord. Let me just quote the scripture for you here. I believe the references in your notes also on the screen. Colossians 1.9 says this. Paul said, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you might walk worthy of the Lord with all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Do you want 2024 to be a year that you walk worthy of the Lord? That you please the Lord and be fruitful in every good work? What do you need? You need more knowledge. It's by God's knowledge, knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding that enables you to do that. Number two, knowledge strengthens the inner man. Knowledge strengthens the inner man. Colossians 3.9, let me quote it for you. He says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The word new man talks about the new nature, the person that we ought to be uh, as a result of the new nature in Christ. The new nature needs constant renewal, refreshing, strengthening in order to keep victorious over sin. That you put on the new man, and it says, through, it says here, is which is renewed in knowledge. That means the new strength, new vigor is given to change us in a new kind of life as opposed to the formal corrupt life. Knowledge strengthens the new man. Number three. Number three. Knowledge enables, knowledge strengthens, and now knowledge empowers. Knowledge empowers Christians to escape the pollutions of the world. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it said, for, af for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through what? The knowledge of the Lord. They have been able to escape the moral defilements of the world through knowledge of God's word. The context is talking about the false teachers. Because they did not believe or apply the word of God, they were not able to escape the pollutions of the world. But for those who are saved, as you grow in knowledge, you'll be able to escape the moral defilements of this world. And lastly, knowledge brings spiritual discernment. Knowledge brings spiritual discernment. In Philippians chapter 1, let me read this for you. Verse 9, Philippians 1, 9. Paul said, this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Why? That ye may approve all things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. The word approve means to discern, examine, discern. You know what is lacking in churches today? It's spiritual discernment. So many believers are doing things they should not do, going places they should not go because they lack discernment. They lack knowing what's right, what's wrong, what's good for me, what's bad for me. And in order to help you to have more discernment, knowledge of God's word. It increases discernment. Every child of God needs greater discernment. We live in a world that's getting worse and worse and worse. And sometimes it's hard to tell sometimes what is good or bad. My friend, discernment will do that for you. So today, let's wrap it up. The command to grow, the ingredients of spiritual growth, the stages of spiritual growth, and the areas of Christian growth is all covered today. But let's close with this. 
We're talking about knowledge. Knowledge brings salvation. We saw grace bring salvation. Remember that? But so does knowledge. Look on the screen, please. In 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it said, who, talking about God, who, who will have all men to be saved and what? Come to the knowledge of truth. If you want to be saved, you've got to come to understanding the truth concerning how to be saved. It's very simple. It's very clear in the Bible. But God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he goes on to say, what's that truth? For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, verse 6, who gave himself a what? Ransom for all. Close your Bibles, please. Look up here as we close. The truth is, God loves you and I so much. He's provided a payment for your sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Which means, my friend, if you die and pay for your sin, you have to die and go to hell to do it. The soul that sinneth, it must die, the Bible says. But listen carefully. God's provided a ransom. God's provided a substitute. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent to be a ransom, a payment for our sin. We're all sinners, are we not? And because we sin according to the holy God of heaven, you deserve judgment. You deserve his wrath and anger. You've earned that because you've sinned against God. I have. That includes me. But God doesn't want me to pay for my sin. He doesn't want me to go to hell. He sent a substitute. How many can say praise the Lord? He sent his son to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. To save you. To be a ransom for your sin. He paid the penalty that you might go to heaven. And our part is simply to believe. To receive him as the one who did that in our place. But to as many as received him, God gave the power of authority to become the sons of God. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Have you ever believed on Christ? That begins with knowledge of what he did for you. You know what he did for you? He died for you. He paid your sin debt. He was buried and he rose again. And now he lives in heaven and says, I will forgive you. I'll give you eternal life and a home in my heaven at my expense. Your part is receive Christ as your Savior and trust him to save you. Have you done that? If you have, you are either a spiritual baby, a young man, or a father. Which one of you this morning? I encourage you this next year, 2024, determine to be in God's house as much as possible in the, in the Word of God that you may grow both in God's grace and the knowledge of his word. Let's bow together, please. Heads about and eyes are closed. We saw that salvation comes through grace and through knowledge. It comes the knowledge of God's truth. The truth is we're sinners. The truth is we all owe a penalty. The truth is we cannot save ourselves. But the truth is God provided a Savior, His Son, Jesus. And the truth is, He died for you, was buried, and rose again. And the truth is, if you'd receive Him as your Savior, trust Him, take you to heaven, He'd give you eternal life as a gift. But also, that salvation is through truth, but through grace. That God would save you, bestow His favor upon you that is not deserved, that is not earned. 
You don't earn God's favor. It's given freely at the expense of Christ. And when you receive Christ, you receive grace, you receive salvation, heaven becomes your home. If you have never done that before, why not do it right now? Why not start this new year out having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? By being born again by the Spirit of God. Being born into God's family, him becoming your father, and you becoming his child. It all occurs by faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have never done that before, I would like to do it today. Why not tell God that? Why not talk to God in your own thoughts and maybe say something like this? You want to be certain heaven's your home. You've been forgiven. You have eternal life. Say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. As a sinner, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment I deserve, he took upon himself. And he paid the ransom, the payment for my sin on the cross. He died in my stead. He was buried and he rose again. And right here today, I want to trust him to save me and forgive me and to give me eternal life. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior here this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, if that made sense to you, I'd like to know that. If you place your trust in Christ, your Savior this morning, I would like to include you in my closing prayer. I'm going to close in prayer in one moment. I'd like to pray for those who made that decision. Let me explain to you, my prayer does not save you. It's Christ that saves you when you trust him. But I'd like to pray for you. In one moment, I ask for those who did that for the first time to raise your hand. Raise your hand doesn't save you. That indicates to me that you have trusted Christ. But if that made sense to you and you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior this morning, with heads bowed and eyes are closed, no one look around. If you did that today for the first time, would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? And we're all, Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ my Savior. Would you pray for me? Weren't all this morning? That made sense. I trusted Christ as Savior here today. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I hope that means each one of you are already saved, that you have a home in heaven. But you had set out in 2024 not to be stagnant, not to sit still and you walk with the Lord, but determined to grow. God commands that of us, to grow in grace and knowledge and determined to be in God's word as much as possible, to be in the house of God as much as possible. Simple things, but yet truthful things that we need to do as God's people to, in order to grow. I encourage you to do that this morning. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many say, Pastor, I am saved, but I realize I need to grow. God has spoken to me this morning. I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not doing the things I ought to do. I need God's grace to grow in grace. I need to grow. Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? That's your prayer. Would you raise your hand today? Hold your hand up high. Yes, all over. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, many, many hands. Father in heaven, so many of you people today acknowledge they need to grow, which we all do, including myself. I pray, Father, that we would purpose this year by your grace to grow in your grace and knowledge. Help us, Father. Pass in Jesus' name. Amen.